0: Welcome to the Cyber Guy Podcast, your source for engaging cyber education, cyber discussions, and a look at current cyber news and trends with retired FBI Special Agent Darren Mott. Hello, friends. Welcome to another edition of the Cyber Guy Podcast. I'm your host, retired FBI Supervisory Special Agent, Darren This episode, I continue my summer series on origin stories. For those who download and listen to mine, I appreciate that. I appreciate the emails I got on it. And today, we are going to talk to Heather Noggle, and I'll let her explain who she is, what she does. It's a great interview. I really enjoyed listening to her story, and I know you will, too. It's funny because I've talked to a lot of people in this industry over the last several years on this podcast and just in general. And it's it's amazing how oftentimes our stories are similar in different ways. I mean, people from different parts of the country and we do simple things. In in this interview, I find out that she was a trumpet player in high school, as was I. And so it's just things like that. She wanted to be in education and I was in education and and same kind of thing. And then we moved into technical stuff. So I've already given away some of her story, but uh, I'll let her tell it here in a second. I know you'll enjoy it. And if you have an interesting, or you've had a, everybody has an origin story. If you would like to give yours. Feel free to, um, I have a Calendly link that um, I'll put in the show notes and you can go there and uh, you can sign up and you can be on the podcast. I'm happy to have anybody who wants to talk their origin story. It's interesting when you start thinking about what your origin story is because you can use it to wrap around a whole bunch of different things as to your purpose in life and what you do. You know, mine has to do with education and helping people stay safe and cybersecurity and all that kind of stuff. And we all have different stories. We all got to different places and get, got to this place in our lives in different ways. And I think people can learn from listening to how other people's got, other people got to where they are today. So if you want to do that, the click, the Calendly link in the show notes, Um, I'll probably post it in LinkedIn as well. You can do it there. And I have a couple, a couple already set up for the next couple of weeks. So I look forward to those folks in the meantime. Um, I will do a couple standalone podcasts in between talking about the different cyber news of the day and stuff. So we'll have that later this week, but for right now, let's hear Heather Noggle's origin story. Well, I want to welcome on to the podcast the first volunteer for the origin story for this summer series of the Guy podcast, Heather Noggle. She is the owner of Codistic or Codist- Codistack. You told me how to say it beforehand. I got it wrong already. Codistack. And we'll talk about what that is. She's out of Bro- Brookline, Missouri. Heather, thanks so much. We are LinkedIn friends for been there for a while, and I appreciate you taking the time.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I like my story. I hope everybody likes the story.
0: So let's go ahead. Just go ahead. And I say, you know, there's really no format to this. Usually for most of my interviews, I, I send a formatted question. There isn't for this, because this is your story, not mine. I may interrupt with points of, you know, emphasize points of emphasis, if you will. So go ahead and just start at the beginning.
1: Okay. Two days from now, in 1972, I was born in Marquette, Michigan, which is where all the snow falls in the U.S. So it all starts there. Some other places in the U.S. get some snow, but Marquette gets most of it. So my dad was Air Force. And when he got out of the Air Force, he said, I go to college. And that was the best place, I guess, that my parents thought that they could make that happen. They were already married. And I was actually born up there. So we got there. He graduated with a degree in fisheries, wildlife biology, something like that. And they get promoted. He had to pick up and move the family, so I didn't live there very long. Don't have any memories of it. And we moved all over Michigan. And if this were a video podcast, you would see on my on my hands as the Michiganders do. I, I could show you all the places I moved in Michigan. And so that was just the way of life. I think a lot of military people do that. A lot of government people they pick up and move. Darren, you mentioned that too. He did a lot of moving to your family. And yep. so he, he did a lot of that and ended up in Springfield, Missouri. Out of all these small towns I lived in, Springfield was a pretty big place when I was 11. And I'm here again now, but there's a lot of hopping around between now and then. From the time I was really little and all that moving around in Michigan and meeting people in these small towns, I'm an only kid. And in 82, we got our first computer for Christmas, it was a Commodore 64. And my parents, not knowing anything <laughs> about computers whatsoever, bought this Commodore 64, hooked it up to the television, and there's no method of persistence. There's no data set at the time. That's what that was possible is you could store programs on tape. But we didn't have one of those. So I would spend all afternoon in these winter days in other parts of Michigan. Yeah.
0: Well, I will say, so yeah, Commodore 64, can... it was an upgrade from the VIC-20 that we had. So, so, <laughs> so you had the upgraded version.
1: Yeah. 82 December <laughs> completely surprised but they came with this manual and you could type in programs and so from typing in the programs even though we couldn't save them beyond the afternoon I could learn how they were structured and start poking around literally peeking and poking around as to how these things operate what they do and what it might mean to me it was a great way to spend those wintry uh, weekend days so did that Ended up moving here into the Missouri where you get all four seasons and sometimes in a single day. And it's just different, different way of life. I grew up ice skating and my dad with all of his skills and all that, he would make rinks, ice rinks in our backyard. And in Michigan, those will stay frozen. All winter long. And so I had lots of friends growing up and doing the ice skating. And I remember when my parents told me we were moving to Missouri and lurked around, understood that that was no longer a possibility to have ice rinks in the backyard. And then there wasn't an ice rink here, even though it was a pretty big place. I remember crying at 11 years old, which is just kind of silly. At any rate, we picked up the Commodore 64 and the family, and we moved to Missouri from all those years in Michigan. And things are just different. It's a different way of life here. It's a little bit slower paced, slightly in the South, right in the middle of the US. And that computer became a pretty big lifeline during those times of change. Even though we, I think at that point, still may not have had any way to persist things. Sixth grade year, seventh grade year, going in there, we eventually got a data set. I don't know the exact timing. Because in seventh grade is when it really all happened. That's when everybody learns geography. And geography has a whole lot of data and a lot of facts. We had to learn all of the countries and all of their capitals. Well, okay, I had all this history of you can do some things with data and data sets. And so I built something where you could randomize within a continent the different countries, and it would quiz me, and I aced geography. So very practical. I've always been a very practical person when it comes to computers.
0: And did any of your friends, purchase your, per, purchase the ability to use that same system to learn themselves?
1: I know because at, the, at that point, it wasn't cool to be geeky. Uh, yeah.
0: You know what I mean? Well, I think yeah. I
1: kept it under wraps and didn't really talk about it. I wanted to be a cool seventh grader in my kind of new school system. And so it was just something I did. And I don't even think I shared all my methodologies there, but you know, time passes, you go into high school off of that and there really aren't any opportunities to do anything in computers it might have been a computer club but girls didn't really do that and so my interest just waned from there because there wasn't quite the pure fact based learning it was the classes I had there was a lot of writing it was something I was good at and I was hardcore into music I had done high I had done junior high school band and then I, I got to high school and they were looking for trumpet players and I was a flute player which I was okay at
0: so, so, then, oh, wait, hold on, hold on. So, you, so did you go from flute to trumpet? And the reason I say that, because I don't think I said this I totally in my, did. I was a trumpet player myself. I was the trumpet player from fifth grade all the way through first chair and senior, senior year. But anyway, yep. that's, that's not my story. That's this is your story. So, carry on. But it just, <laughs> it just I, I just like yes. the, I like the, the, the synergy of the Commodore 64 and the trumpets. And if you tell me you were in that's Oklahoma good. as a senior, then maybe we were, we were split from birth. But go ahead. Yeah.
1: They, they needed trumpet players. They had so many flutes, and they had, as the marching man goes, they have certain slots, and you have to fill the slots. And they said, Two flute girls, because there the weren't any boys in the flute section, come over here and you can hold this trumpet. Come over, who volunteers? Well, sure, that sounds fun. And there's no way I was just going to hold the thing. So, being somewhat driven by the time I was a junior in high school, I was second chair, and this is a huge high school. So, just all the fundamentals you had to learn on flute, those things are transferable. So once you learn the embouchure, which is radically different, you can move into working on a new instrument, and I got good at it, and I loved it. So right around my junior year of high school, I figured I had my life mapped out. I'm going to be a band director, loved it, good at it, had friends, enjoyed the lifestyle, heavy, intense stuff. Again, I think really big school. We were winning things. It felt good. Went into my senior year, no reason to see a change there, continue to do the things I did. I'm somewhat of a competitive, persistent person. And so I ended up with a full ride to Southwest Missouri State University here locally. And that was three different scholarships, hot together. And that was the plan. Go here, really big college band, really impressive. Do that for four years, graduate and have a music degree and go teach music, which band directors in big schools anyway, and medium to big schools, they're almost like CEOs. They're running the programs, they're running the music, they're running all the shows and all the things like that. And so there are a lot of business transferable skills there. And that was really appealing to me. So move on to college. Freshman year of college, that college band actually went to London which is just so cool at 18 years old to take 400 people, you know, and, you know, Hey, let's grab a plane or in this case, maybe six and head to London from all these different cities where people were originating. And we spent uh, over a week there, I think from 1990 into 1991, because it was over the new years and that it just solidified. This is what I want to do. Having a really grand time doing this and went on through that into my sophomore year of college and sophomore year of college is when everything changed because right around late September, early October, we noticed I had a lump in my face. And I won't make this podcast too much about this mm-hmm. because I've I covered this in other areas, but long and short of it, after some doctor visits, I diagnosed with a tumor in my face. And after running through some fine needle biopsies, which is a lot like in Star Wars, when they bring the torture probe over to Princess Leia, that's pretty much what they did to my (laughs) face. They took some samples of that and they said, "Ah, nothing to worry about. That's benign. Well, it turns out when they took the thing out, it was wrapped all over my facial nerve and it was not benign. So (laughs) life changed there. I came out of surgery, many hours of surgery, and my face didn't move on the right side. So there goes the whole trumpet career just pretty much right away. And they, they were like, we think we got everything out of there but there's a suspicious spot. And so the long wait with the way technology was in 1991 to figure out what's the deal, what does pathology say? And I'd already told my friends, okay, my face is frozen. I should get all better, everything's fine. And then I had to backpedal on that. There's no public internet. There's no easy way to tell the world that nope, this is not the way it is. So I went off to MD Anderson to get a diagnosis because it's a rare cancer treatment plan everything and i just sort of disappeared for a while so got all that handled
0: yeah you couldn't get there's no pro there was no prodigy chat room you could go into at the time and, uh, and no <laughs> yeah.
1: there's there's nothing it, it's it's 1991 and it just there's nothing there i remember being really excited though when i learned about a modem on the commodore 64 not that my parents would ever let me do anything like that but just the idea you could communicate with people mm-hmm. in the rest of the world and meet them and get to know them and not be proximate very cool. At any rate, to make a long story short, I'm fine. <laughs> That's good. But I went through a series of treatment. I dropped out for a semester. I made all that happen so I could keep my scholarships and knew I would go back, and I did. And during that time, I was working at Kentucky Fried Chicken which it's interesting. I worked there five years from when I was 16 to to 21. I was in a management role while I was in college to help pay for some of those peripherals. And so they acclimated. They let me do some day shifts. And there were, I think, six to eight of those Kentucky Fried Chickens around here, different stores and restaurants. So I would fill in management shifts and put away a little bit of money while I was healing from treatment from all that. And then life continued and very quickly into that second sophomore year, when I went to back to marching band, I had regained facial function, but not ever full capacity of the way I could play. And through that course of that semester, it's like, this isn't practical for you anymore. I'm a pretty practical person. This is no longer practical. I'd lost my love of, of being a band director that whole didn't enjoy the coursework anymore. And at that point, it's like, well, what, what now? Computers wasn't really an option. I was taking a computer course, I was doing a little programming. I didn't love it because it was a university proprietary program and the computer science departments and even computer information systems departments are very new at this point because there's no public internet. And this is not a cutting edge school. So I went with something again, very practical. Well, I can speak, I can write. I'll be a communications major. So got that degree, did well. Enjoyed it, thought it was good, had no clue what I wanted to do with it, knew I had to be fairly practical. I always have to have health insurance. And so at that point, my parents can still cover me. And when you don't know what you want to do, hey, just go to grad school. Mm -hmm. So I moved to Columbia, Missouri, which is where Mizzou is. And I did some grad school work there in communications. Did not love that because it was likely going to lead to something political, and I'm not a real big fan of political communications. It's, I find it depressing. (laughs) So I moved into public administration. And from there, that, that was good. Didn't want to go the MBA route at that point, but the public administration, I got a bunch of coursework in that. I found that very helpful. At the same time, I was working for the University of Missouri in HR, so I guess that's technically my first career. After a quick stint as a legal secretary just to pay the bills, I got into the HR department on the staff side and found two things I really, really love. And one is a lot of people things, a lot of interviewing, a lot of screening, talking to people, helping to match them with jobs, et cetera. It's a pretty entry-level job at that point. And then a whole lot of data. My boss at that point noticed I had these technical skills that were latent but still there. And the university offered its staff all these courses from everything. You remember Pearl?
0: Yep. They sure. had
1: classes in Perl. They had classes in SQL. I really took to SQL and some programming, and we were doing some avant garde stuff early with the web of getting our job postings online. Couldn't, couldn't accept applications.
0: What year, what, what year, what year time frame we talking we're about?
1: We're looking in 95.
0: Okay. So, right. So, so, so AOL is already yeah. out. So, the AOL, everybody's getting the yeah. AOL disks in, in the mail and all that stuff. So, you're finally mm-hmm. starting to get web face GUIs. Because um, I was teaching, yeah. and as I said, because I was teaching in high school, and I know we had some Windows boxes that had, you know, the basic early windows stuff. So you're right at that cutting edge frame of where computers are becoming more mainstream for people, right? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah. I'm playing in HTML, hand coded, Mm -hmm. you know, Unix stuff, uh, Pico doing, doing that stuff as we're going in there. And then all that data and reporting for my boss. And so that was really good for me. It's like, I do have an interest here and I have an interest in doing half and half of each, I've learned that if I have to interview, this is a later job where I was doing a whole lot of interviewing. If I have to interview people all day long for several days on end, I do not want to speak to other people. (laughs) And If I have to sit in a dark room and code, we'll get to that later, and not talk to people at all, it's kind of the same reaction. Something's not balanced and something's not right here. After HR at the university, I actually left that job because I had met my husband online on accident. Not a dating thing. It was a news. You remember Usenet? Yeah, absolutely. Usenet's still sure. out there. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, it it was a poetry news group, and he had STL in his email address. And I he had a lovely poem. I asked him if he lived in St. Louis, because a couple hours from St. Louis. And he said yes. Turned out we're the same age, and we got a great friendship going. And ultimately, we got married a couple of years later. But I'm skipping ahead. Very so nice. online on accident before online dating. <laughs> so yeah. So I ended up moving to St. Louis because at that point, Columbia, Missouri was pretty much a college town. And you could have a lot of trap spouses there, hard to get a job. He had a good job in St. Louis. So a couple hours away, I ended up moving there and went to work for St. Louis County Government in HR because I had enough in the, the master's in public administration work and then my work at the University of Maine, Missouri. And that was pretty much exclusively an interviewing job. And it was just too much doing interviewing all the time. And they found that I have these computer skills. So, you know, like anywhere at that point, you have a lot of shadow IT because you can't get enough IT. It's a lot like cyber is now. You cannot get enough IT people in this new career path, this new web stuff, all this. At this point, we're looking at, I moved in in 98. So a few years have passed, but it's still very hard to get computer people. The dot-com bust hasn't happened yet. We're still in a big boom. And so... Part of my job then would be siphoned off from interviewing people. They found some people to take those things. And I was writing a job requisition tracking program for them in Microsoft Access because it's what we had. Mm -hmm. And then putting some salary information on our intranet. So starting to do some cold fusion programming. and, And here I am, Heather, the HR person doing this programming. And the HR director, still called personnel then, he was really big into showing off tech, thought it was great. And so he would dog and pony show me around. I'm like 24, 25 at this point. I guess I was 24. All the different departments at St. Louis County, which is a pretty big government. And so I would go, we'd take the, the laptop and the projector heavy thing at that time and go to these different departments, take 45 minutes to set up the thing and 30 minutes of demo and then go and it was all smooth and we'd show off what we were doing while I was interviewing, while doing this circuit of all this, getting to know all these these people in these departments, I was interviewing for a software development job as the interviewer, with the department person and we couldn't we couldn't find qualified people and I'm talking with the hiring manager, I'm talking with him and, and we get done with these interviews and he's like, I want you. <laughs> so to qualify for a job you know I didn't have experience in that language yet but to qualify for that job I went home that night and I it's like you know that seems fascinating and I learned the language so over the course of like the next two days I read through a book it was ASP classic ASP okay VP script I can do this this is human readable it's easy to follow and I ended up transferring lateral transfer essentially with a little more money into that role in that job in the department of revenue where there's a whole lot of data and money and things and all that and i love that but i didn't feel over the course of time like i was really making that much of a difference because sometimes you can feel that way in government whether it's local or higher on up into state or even federal and over time everybody was hiring computer people and i had enough experience at that point thought, oh, i'll just on a whim, throw my hat out there to see, you know, can I get a full-time software developer job outside of government? And the answer was, yes, I can. And I remember when I got that offer, it was significantly more money than what I was making in government. And it was the right place at the right time. And I said, yes, that was October of of 2000.
0: How long did it take from the time you decided I'm going to do this to them, someone hiring you?
1: Less than a month. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was a couple of interviews, one with um, A.G. Edwards, which I think has been swallowed up by another company. It was a big financial company in St. Louis. And then with this firm, Envision, its name was Quatrix then. So I got put on this team of just really avant-garde people who are all doing amazing things right now just amazing things it was very very cool and I put on this project where I'm going to be software development again ASP at this time it was going to be a three-month thing and it might extend and so did some pair programming database development because I had a lot of skills doing some oracle work within the software developer job over at St. Louis County we're working on an application for a small company my client and then their company in collaboration with them it was DHL. And so I've done work with DHL for many, many years Mm -hmm. because this three month project, it went to six months and then it just kept expanding and Around the five-year point at Envision, I, I built a bunch of interesting things through this, this customer, export internet trade systems and the tr- trade compliance, export compliance space. and So I got to know the industry and just built a whole bunch of stuff, a lot of data integration stuff in you know, some .NET and also some ASP work. And the other side of the house was Java. So that was what this consultancy offered. And it just kept expanding and expanding and going and going. And then five years have passed. And at that point, I was pregnant with my first kid and going to be a stay-at-home mom. And my customer bought out my contract. Just didn't want to go back and forth with work. Again, the stay-at-home mom, that was pretty appealing. So this is 2006. And I've been doing all these things, talking with all these customers, and really just a holistic experience of customer requirements and then going and doing the coding myself at that point we had a pretty small team working on this customer's project but pretty pretty good big business and so the business skills and the tech skills 2006 I go and I'm working part-time while I have my newborn and the rumblings of everything are happening with the economy etc and my job is stable and growing and by nine months later my husband had left his job to be temporarily a stay-at-home dad. And we put me back up to full-time because there was demand for that. I've been working from home since 2006. <laughs> and it just it just kept going. And the list of customers that we had for this product called Global Wizard at the time was just growing and growing and doing well. We're adding staff and software developers. The owners are doing a lot of the customer work. And then I am a bridge between software requirements and software construction, project management, and doing some of the coding as well, still myself throughout all that time. And if you look on my LinkedIn profile and if you look at companies I have a whole lot of contacts for, those are my customers. So this just continued and in 2017 we had an, we had another son in 2008. In 2017 the we were meeting trying to look at some growth opportunities for the company because again I'm part people and I'm part tech and the owners of the business said to me, "So how would you like to buy the company?" <laughs> <laughs> Out of nowhere. No succession plans. None of this thinking. And I remember I, I don't curse much. I'm pretty sure I did some cursing because that was not on my radar. And over time, a colleague and I did. We It took us about nine months to come to terms of what that might look like if we owned this company. And we did. We pulled the trigger on that. If if that's appropriate terminology, and in early 2018, we became owners of export internet trade systems, Global Wizard, and we made plans to to scale and expand this company, and to do that required quite a bit of modernization of everything that was not under my control and some things that were in the way that we ran the operations, so technical debt is a very real thing, And it's not always cybersecurity or security debt. It's literally is the code equipped for the next phase of how things are done. Going back, modernizing that. And then things like invoicing weren't modernized yet. They were done in Microsoft Word and they were done with templates. And so having to get all the current customers move over from that, it's not a small company. So learning the ropes on business ownership 2018, 2019, and then knowing that to scale this company, we've got to get me out of being the hub of everything in this company and intentionally doing so until I stepped out of it and we've changed its format and its focus and its brand into something called Traybacks. So I don't talk or write too much about Traybex because I don't work in it, but it is a company I own part of. I'm very proud to be an officer of that company and work in that space. Oh,
0: so you're still with, the, so you're I, still, so you're still an owner of them.
1: I am an owner. I got you. Okay, yeah. cool. All right. Yeah. Export compliance. So companies that take their goods out of the U S that that's what we serve.
0: So Itar is fascinating your fascinating you, field. I'm sure you love ITAR. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Itar. Yes. State Department versus mm-hmm. the Commerce Department on mm-hmm. the EAR, Export Administration mm-hmm. Regulations side. So whether you're shipping widgets or whether you're shipping ITAR-related goods, we, we help customers in that arena. And I still say we because it's my first child.
0: Okay. So fair, fair.
1: That is through this. We, as this company, as changing through branding, we're about to just really step into the world with all of this modernization and all the things that we do and everything that's changed. And it was February of 2020. So we were Uh, supposed to be in San Diego. You see where this is leading? It was a big Uh, conference. It was (laughs) fabulous. It was amazing, super excited. And then everything went on hold. Many of our bigger customers were volume-based at that time. And so their volume went way down as you might imagine with everything that has happened and crazy supply chain woes after that and it is what it is so through that time treading water doing things actively working to get me out of the business so that we can grow the business and we're in that growth stage now which is very exciting so i want to back up just a little bit because during that same time frame also being a reluctant business owner and going through that, I established Stack in 2017 as a fallback plan because I was pretty sure if we didn't end up purchasing this company, I would have to do something else because it would have been, we weren't amicable and I probably could not continue to work for them. So, okay, step back, establish this company, have it there at the ready, figure out what I would do with it later along down the line, see if I can find some demand for software requirements because those interviewing skills from HR really come in handy in trying to figure out the scope of what people need, what are we missing? especially the whole extra iteration of what are we missing here that's really going to bite us if we don't have it. And worked toward that, set that aside while finishing up everything with Global Wizard. Well, in 2021, I'm at an entrepreneurship conference or so I thought. It was a cybersecurity entrepreneurship conference about an hour from here in Joplin, Missouri. And I was there almost on a whim, There was a gentleman there named Ben McDougall, and Ben was a regional rep for One Million Cups, which is one of the big entrepreneur groups. It's free. It meets every Wednesday. If you follow my feed, I talk about it occasionally. And I was an organizer there, community organizer for the Springfield chapter. Great place. So I'm there to meet him. But here's who's also with this little Joplin's like 70,000, 80,000 people at this conference, though. The opening keynote is Wes Spencer. Mm, And Wes Spencer had just sold Perch pretty recently from there. And so he's opening this and I'm watching and I'm fascinated. He's got a great story watching Wes. Didn't know who he was. Didn't know really all that much about the cybersecurity industry. So he was interesting. He was expiring, not expiring. He was, (laughs) what?
0: (laughs) Didn't know he was sick.
1: (laughs) He actually was.
0: Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So
1: So Wes Spencer was interesting and very inspiring, and I watched him through that keynote and thought, okay, this is interesting, cybersecurity, makes sense. I've, I've been doing work for all the things that we now call OWASP for years, and then come Right before lunch, I walked into the big auditorium area. It was held in a church. And I sit down. I don't even know why I went into this session because, again, I'm there for entrepreneurship. And the entrepreneurship sessions were elsewhere. But I sat down in the big auditorium. And on the screen comes Chris Hadnagy. And he starts talking through all the things he talks about, the social engineering aspect, all the cyber hygiene. And I sat there and I'm just dumbfounded because there are a few things even at this point as a longtime technologist that I was not practicing perfectly. And then a small voice came in my head and said, you know, Heather, you can help spread this message. And that really is my origin right there. It's like, well, yeah, I can. I really can. So I reached out to Chris and I said, your talk was very inspiring. And this, that, this, that, this, that. I'd like to write an article, write a piece. I'm a pretty good writer. Yeah, okay. Well, he responded. And he was very helpful. He looked over what I had to say. I wanted to make sure I was not goofing this because my audience on LinkedIn and everywhere else was not necessarily cybersecurity people. It's mostly small businesses. Mm-hmm. So from there, after I think two iterations of really helpful comments, I went ahead and released a LinkedIn article. Everything else until that point I had written was all about export compliance and it was not frequent. I don't think people were posting as much back then in 2021, around November-ish. But I did, I put it out there and I connected with a few people who thought it was insightful. And just, hmm, what do we have here? And I started studying, you know, trying to add to the skill set to be not only believable, but impactful in the people i talk with and some of the things were very easy to pick up i started playing around and try hack me from a really broad perspective not so much to become a blue team or red team or even purple team person but to understand and relate and i got to where that was just great fun because the programming mindset the software development mindset the business analysis mindset transfer really well to learning in this space and since then, I've been continuing to do that. I've been doing some speaking and I've been doing a whole lot of writing. So if anybody recognizes my name and goes and looks, you'll see just a plethora of writings on LinkedIn. And I'm starting to put those on CodaStack's blog as well. I officially left Global Wizard Traybacks in December of 2022. And since then I started to build CodaStack out. And from there, while trying to work through the consultancy, there was an immediate need for an instructor at our community college. And I'm on our tech council here. I'm the vice chair of the Springfield Tech Council. And so that became, okay, I'll go do that. That seems to make sense. I didn't really want to get a full-time job. I have kids still at home. And until they're out of my influence sphere, I would prefer to have some flexibility with their sports and things like that. And so this seemed to really solidify that I don't go get a job thing right now. I can go teach and I can pick up something else along the way. And then very soon after that, I've had a request to interview to run a nonprofit for the short term. And it was in the tech space as well, getting more women into tech and women and minorities. And so that spoke to my heart. It was just going to be an interim assignment. They had the executive director left quite suddenly. And so I did that from March up until this month. And so at this point, I've been doing some work with customers and relationships I've been building, but I'm trying to build this company out into where I'm working in two areas right now is I, I can help with any sort of light tech for people who are small business owners and don't necessarily have the skills. And there are so many of those, I'm sure we can talk about that because I know that you have a heart for that as well. And working a lot in WordPress, WordPress security, and even some establishing some WordPress. And then also in a strange area of technical branding I helped our Missouri Cybersecurity Center of Excellence with their brand because, again, I can speak and I can write and I understand everything they're saying, which a lot of people, you can find one or the other and not necessarily both. And branding is a very strategic thing, the early parts of it. And so getting some ideas and connecting some people in there. And then I put together a video series, a very small video series for small businesses and individuals that's just on YouTube and it's free. That talks through some of the fundamentals of cyber cybersecurity, cyber hygiene, and trying to get people interested enough to dig a little deeper. So they're not there for a deep dive. They're they're two and three minutes long tops, just trying to set off some light bulbs, maybe and get people interested in learning more from people who dive a little deeper into this. And, and someday I hope to do that as well, but you can only do so much at once. So teenagers, two boards, two companies, it, it's a little bit.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, and the best, the great thing is like when you went to college, you wanted to be a teacher and now you're teaching. You probably were teaching all along, but you're continuing to teach in the area that you love the most, which is cyber and technical writing and cyber technical writing, all that kind of stuff. Have you found that since you've gone out? Okay. So when you so so now you're on your own doing your own thing with your kids. Have you found that that freedom has caused you to have more irons and more fires than you had originally?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, as we're exiting me out of out of my business, I took on two board roles, and also a community organizer. So, all at once, I have those three things going. I'm working for my own company. I have my kids and, and my life and my church and all my things. And I, I still play trumpet, by the way, <laughs> in my church, and so and choir. Yes. And that was a little difficult because it's confusing. Why am I so busy? Well, you did it to yourself, Heather. Yeah. That's yeah, why. Right. Right. And then all the learning and the videos and. The things and so i'm i'll be scaling back a few of these things and focusing on business because it's the wise thing to do at this point it's necessary as we put resources into glowing growing traybacks then it's just a necessary thing to do and i i I feel like i have a lot more work in me so
0: yep i I I age in
1: in two days and Mm -hmm. i it's it so it's a reflective time whenever you're you're right about to age it's like there's a lot more there i i feel like i can i can do
0: what do you so, think the what do you th- and I'm going to go off off the origin story a little bit because but you t- yeah. you mentioned the small business stuff. What do you think the the hesitancy is, and maybe it's not even hesitancy, but what are the roadblocks that small businesses have to really even invest or do more things with cybersecurity? I think part of it, in my guess, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is just, it's, you, you can't you, you lose money with cybersecurity because you have to invest <laughs> in something, right? But I've been trying to uh, trying to make the point that. A lot of reasons that cybersecurity and small businesses are having such a problem is because these companies, these small businesses, don't have cyber leadership. So if you don't have the cyber oh, leadership yeah. to kind of set you forward to here's what you need to do, then you can't do the other things, which makes them ripe for, ripe for targeting.
1: I'm looking at really, really small businesses. So we're talking entrepreneurs. They may run. There's a gentleman. He has trucks. So I'm not even sure what he does with the trucks, but he's a fairly new in business and he does stuff with trucks. And Mm -hmm. so he's not thinking about computers, even though computers are running his software. Computers probably got QuickBooks online. So I built these personas of these super small businesses and they tend to be seven or fewer people. So, no, you don't have cyber leadership with seven or fewer people. You have a small team getting the things done and nonprofits, too. I've got a real heart for that, having worked in that now. That's my first nonprofit experience other than volunteer. And that's not the priority. It's not where the risks are. And so these profiles, these personas look at, well, what do we care about? What What software do we use? What do we do? And then really poking into a personal story of, okay, you're over here and you're using this software doing this. What if you can't do that? So instead of worrying about, can can we not do that, to try to look at what processes can we put in place? And you know the Verizon DBIR looks at some three very simple things that that's where you start. It's not where you end, but it's where you start. You train your people, you patch your systems. And I can't remember the third one off the top of my head, but it's going to be one of the common ones we Man. talk about with backups, data backups. Mm-hmm. I think that might even be it. And we start there. And then we have a conversation of, well, what's next? Because there is always a next. There's always, I like to say another princess and another castle Mario. That's just the way it is. And it's hard because the cyber threats are hidden there. If, you, if you're not looking for them, they are not immediately obvious. And it's a, like an idea that in life, when something goes wrong with our bodies, we're in pain. Well, the pain on cyber doesn't happen until long after the problem. Right, yeah. And so it's really hard to to explain that other than something like that. I use a lot of analogies when I write and I get people who will stop me in in life. So locally in town, they'll stop me and tell me they like my writing, but they'll never mention, you know, online. And so it's really affirming that, okay, the message is getting out there. I just need to continue with that. Build some courses or something for these super, super small businesses to actually engage and understand there are things they need to do. And there are a lot of those here. I'm sure there are a lot of them where you live, too. People who are not working in technology and they haven't grown to the point or they are in process of growing to the point where they might need IT people and then cyber people. So a lot of these people don't even have MSPs.
0: Right. So they can't afford them. Right. So they just have the IT guy and he's the cyber guy. So, you know, and I think so, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to, I'm going to have to, after my origin story series is over, I'll have to have you come back so we can have a longer conversation on the small business stuff. But where can people find your writing and your YouTube channel for the business stuff?
1: Okay. I will get that for you for show notes. YouTube yeah. channel, just look under Heather Noggle. You can, heathernoggle.com has it all outlined, shows all my podcast experiences. There's codastack.com that has most of my writing as well. I'm in the process of trying to transfer my LinkedIn posts that are relevant over there so that I've got those archived. And then a, a small publication called Unite News Online. That's our local black newspaper. I write cyber column in there every month. And I've done some writing. If you really want to go esoteric, mm-hmm. I've got some writing in the Export Compliance Manager about microservices and monoliths and modernizing and mind mapping. And everything seems to start with them.
0: Awesome. Well, Heather Knockle, thank you so much for being the first volunteer for the Cyber Guy Origin Story series. Um, and I appreciate your time. Thanks so much.
1: Good to meet too. you. Too. Thank you.
0: Thank you. So once again, I want to thank Heather for being the first. Person to take me up on my offer to give their origin story. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed listening to it and talking to her and finding about all the things she did, is doing, and will continue to do. So look for her on LinkedIn. Information about her website, her organizations are in the show notes. You can click on those and take a look at them there as well. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Um, Tell others that you feel may be of interest and may find. Uh, in this information I provide knowledgeable, pass that along to them. I appreciate that. And thank you so much for my to my all my listeners who continue to download and listen and support this podcast. More things coming in the future. Look out for those as they come. As you go through your week, no knowledge is protection. If we can understand the threats targeting us, we can assess our risk and proceed wisely. Thank you so much. Have a great week. We will talk to you soon.